Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, as we get into this word this morning, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and get your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Kings. We're going to be in the same chapter, 1 Kings chapter 19. And I'm going to read just a snapshot or snippet of it, verses 4 through 8, which we've already read. But I want to bring your attention back to it as we're going to have a much needed conversation this morning, kind of like the gospel and race conversation we had a few weeks ago uh, at the beginning of this series. And if you missed it, if you miss any part of this mental health series, you need to go back and check it out. Y'all, has this been good for you guys? I pray it has. It's been challenging to me. It's been encouraging. Uh, and many of you have reached out to me and just asked for help in this. And, and that's what we want to do. We want to open up the doors for you to ask for help in this season. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, what we've been looking at is this story or narrative of Elijah. And in, inside of it, we see that Elijah's running. He's running from God. He's running from all that he knows and where God has used him. As I've told you before, he's depressed here in this passage. He's discouraged and he's tired and he's running. But what I don't want you to miss, and I'm going to keep telling you this because I don't want you to miss it, is that, that I want you to watch how God really meets him in the midst of his discouragement, in the midst of his depression, in the midst of his running. Amen. So slip on his boots again this week. We're going to ride through the passage pretty quickly as we get to this conversation. I have a couple of my friends that are going to help us unpack psychology and counseling this morning. So first Kings chapter 19, verse four through eight. If you got it, go ahead and write got it in the chat. Here now the reading of God's word, starting in verse four. It says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and he sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. The very word of God. Amen. Friends, this passage, in this passage, we see Elijah, again, he, he's running. He's running and he's He's trying to escape, but he, and he's tired. He's, he's emotionally drained. He's depressed, and he's, he's really not thinking about, he's not thinking straight. He's not thinking about all that God has done with him in the past, all that God has used him to do, all the many mountaintop experiences. And, 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 and the thing I think that people miss when they're reading this narrative with Elijah, which I don't want you to miss, is that what you see here is that Elijah runs to this place of solitude. Now, now, 
before you get carried away with that, we, we talked about solitude in the fall where we talked about it being a spiritual discipline where we seek God out in this place of silence. We turn down the noise and we seek God in a place of solitude. We want to hear from the Lord. What you see here is that Elijah's running away, and it's a little different in this passage. He's not intentionally taking that space with God to seek solitude. No, he ends up in this place because of his own mess. You see, sometimes we enter into a place of solitude because of the things that are happening in our lives and the, the weakness and the weak spaces that we may be in. It's not always because we're making this intentional space for God. You see right here in the passage, my man ends up in this place of solitude by himself because he's trying to escape. He's trying to escape. And see, the hard truth about escapes is that they don't really turn out to be escapes, as we see with Elijah. They just lead us into this deeper and deeper depraved place, this depraved hole. They leave us in our minds and in our feelings. It leads us to places physically doing things that we never really could have imagined ourselves doing. And what we've done really is that we've ultimately fueled our minds with our feelings or our hearts with our feelings and our minds with something that was never supposed to satisfy in the beginning. So what's in the, what ends up happening is that we're left more unhealthy than we were before. So the escape really didn't work. See, what I want you to notice in the text is that although my man Elijah is not in this intentional place of solitude where you would see Jesus after he's baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew 4, he leaves intentionally and goes to a place of solitude to be with God in the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a little different here. This is not what Elijah's doing. Elijah's in this place of solitude for the wrong reasons. But watch this. What we cannot miss, and I'm going to step into your neighborhood with this, what we cannot miss is that God still meets him in this place. God still meets Elijah right at the point of his need. Friends, again, we cannot miss this because many of us are right there this morning. We're there knowingly or unknowingly. And hear me, you may not be depressed. You may not be tired like Elijah, but you may be dealing with some shame. You, you may be dealing with some guilt. You, you may be dealing with anger or resentment or comparison traps or significance issues, control issues, power or comfort issues. We're all in different spaces, but we, we can resonate with, with what Elijah's going through right now. And what I want us to realize is that God meets us right there. I don't want us to miss that in the passage. God meets us at that place. But here's, here's also my hope through this series, because I don't want you to get carried away thinking that this whole mental health series was just to, was to solve your problems. Really, what we were trying to do through this is we weren't necessarily going to fix what you're going through just through a four-week series. But what we wanted to do is hopefully debunk the stigma around counseling and, and mental health. And for us now to see, okay, I... It's okay for me to get help, and I I do need a little bit of help, and I can reach out to my pastor or my community or a counselor who can help me in my time of need. Hear me. I've said it throughout the weeks leading up to this, that old American slogan of pulling myself up by my bootstraps and doing it by the sweat of my brow, that's false. And it's led us into unhealthy places. And here's the reality. The gospel's on the other side. The gospel highlights that we're broken. 
that we're weak and we're in need of a savior, that we can't do it by ourselves. So hear me, Christians and people alike, if we're really trying to seek the wholeness or this healthy spirituality or healthy emotionally physical place, then we have to take the understanding of the gospel and and put it into its right place and into our hearts and our minds. Or else, if we don't, we'll keep running from place to place, from thing to thing, just like Elijah, trying to fill up this hole. So today, I, what, what I've done is I, I've, I brought two of my friends with me this morning. They're going to help me just further debunk this whole, uh, this, this myth, if you want to say, or stigma around psychology. And I want to really step into this whole understanding of what is soul care? What does it mean? To, what, why is it important to, to look into our mental health and really explore what's really going on in our hearts, what's going on in our minds? So hopefully we'll be able to set kind of a roadmap with you. You probably can see them on the screen right now, but I have two friends. They're two psychologists who have been in this for years, and they've helped me out greatly along the road in the last few years as I've known them. And I've come to love them, and I know they love me very well. They've walked with my wife and I quite a bit, and they love renewal. They supported renewal. So family, as you see them already, won't you just give a round of applause and just say hello to Rich and Sally with me? Well, hey, Rich. Hey, Sally. Hello. How you all doing? Um, I'm so glad that you guys are here with me this morning. I'm glad that you're doing this. And and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. I I know that you may be you're used to this, Rich and Sally. You may be a little nervous, but every time I talk to you, all you have just golden nuggets that you drop on me. And so I can't wait for our, our church to hear some that you have to say. So I just want to jump in like this, if we may, before we get into some of the questions. I know you, but our church may not know you. So I'd love for you to just kind of just a couple minutes of how did you get into this journey into mental health and um, what are you doing right now? Well, I'll start there. Um, first and most <clears throat> importantly, uh, I've walked with the Lord for 50 years as of this January, and it wow. still makes me cry. So. Um, I'm overwhelmed by that. I'm a trauma therapist at Alliance Clinical Associates. I've been there over 20 years. Uh, Alliance is a practice uh, that has psychologists, therapists, and psychiatrists all working together. It's a Christian practice. And um, I got into this field because a couple decades after I came to know Christ, um, I inexplicably had uh, the need for a therapist. And so I went on a journey and basically grew up again in clinical space and it profoundly changed my life. So um, when it came time for me to shift into a different career, uh, I pursued this one. Amen. Amen. 50 years. Uh, Wow. I'm I'm, I'm looking to get there. (laughs) We're old there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Good morning, Uh, Rich Butman. It's been my distinct pleasure to be a professor of psychology and a licensed psychologist at Wheaton College since 1980. Do the math, Hmm. that's 41 years. (laughs) In two months, I will, uh, I'm not supposed to say retire, I'm going to redirect. And uh, exciting things might lie ahead for us as a couple and as 
uh, mental health professionals that um, I'm pleased to be with you today and share some of our hopefully wisdom, knowledge, and compassion, and grace, and understanding. Amen. Thanks, Rich. I think we've had a couple students at our church that have gone through, have passed your way, and Corey and, and Hezekiah in the last few years, and, uh, and probably some more that are out there waiting. So thank you for all the work that you both have done over the years, and, um, and even the next journey as you keep going forward. Well, the first question I would love to ask is, as we jump in, is, the what you know what are we what what's going on with our world um what exactly is mental health kind of this mental illness uh how do we understand it rich you you've spoken about the four s's and uh i don't want to butcher it because you do it much better than i do but structure support and skills supervision equals success i'd love for you guys to just break down a little bit like what what is mental health mental counseling what is it that we're we're talking about here. Okay, well, I'll start with uh, the rough news. I mean, this has been a really hard year and mm -hmm. some of the realities that impact mental health are the pandemic, uh, the physical isolation, as well as the racial and economic disparities that have been revealed yeah. in the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, it's heightened as families and individuals are trying to cope and survive in some cases. And, mm -hmm. Uh, our culture is polarized uh, economically and politically. So from a mental health standpoint, uh, this is tough. In addition, right. the internet, internet impacts our thought process and our thought life. It actually changes our ways of thinking. And uh, social wow. media is impacting our personhood. So the accumulated effect for us in the field is a grieving for what's been lost, uh, a lack of safety, and a sense of uh, hypervigilance, which triggers anxiety and trauma, past trauma. Wow. So that's that's the hard stuff. That's the hard news. Uh, there's a contemporary response to the question, what is mental health and mental illness, and a classic response. The contemporary response is a giant 945-page book called The Diagnostic and Statistical <laughs> Manual, fifth edition of the American Psychiatric Association, a surefire cure for insomnia, 945 pages with over 250 different uh, mental, emotional, and behavioral disorders. Uh, wow. So that's the official position of uh, healthcare and human services in North America and much of uh, Western Europe. But there's a better response. Uh, this is a conversation about psychopathology. And from the Greek, the study of the calamities of the soul. And it seems to me that people at Renewal and throughout the Christian community around the world should be very interested in the study of the calamity of the souls. And also, too, the oldest understanding of counseling and psychotherapy was soul care. Once again, wow. that's in the great pastoral tradition of the church. But I'm excited about what you're doing at Renewal because there are some structures in place and some support in place mm -hmm. and some skills in place and some supervision in place. And that's a formula for success in just about any program ever studied in healthcare and human services. The fancy word for today is scaffolding. How do you help build up mm -hmm. people and improve their mental, emotional, and physical well-being? 
we're not mindless bodies or disembodied minds. So my own sense is we're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God. And so what happens inside of us and around us will very much affect our well-being and our health and perhaps even our holiness as well. I think COVID-19 and related political and economic turmoil has certainly contributed to spikes in mental illness. But the other thing I wanna say about mental health and mental illness, our field does not have a definition of health. It has a definition of illness. And to kind of paraphrase scripture, I would think wow. that maybe mental health might be confessing Jesus Christ as Lord seeking after righteousness and loving the brothers and sisters. So I think what you're doing down at Renewal fits very much in with the emphasis of the New Testament, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, seeking after righteousness and loving the brothers and sisters. But the main thing, this is a conversation about the calamities of the soul. And what you've talked right. about in the sermon today and in recent sermons, it's very much, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, but we feel things at the deepest level of our soul, hence the statement, it's a conversation about psychopathology, the study of the calamities of the soul. And it's a conversation about a response to that, soul care, mm. which is why I think the church should be in the front line in this conversation. And like you said in your sermon last week, if the church was truly the church, who would need counseling? So that's a couple of thoughts on mental health and mental illness. Now, that's that's great, Rich and, and Sally. I want to dive into that a bit more. You, you talked about psychopathology and, you know, it's such a, a big word. But when you break it down and you're talking about the fact that this is soul care and that was new for me to just think of it in that in that way. It's, uh, you know, there's such a stigma against counseling or sitting down with a counselor. You don't really think of it as the fact of soul care and the, like you just stated, the calamities of the soul. So I'd love to dive deeper in that to think about the fact, why, why is this really important to our spiritual health? And, um, I know you all have talked to me a bit about our spiritual disciplines and things, but why, why, is this, why is this important to our spiritual health? How did it develop? How do we get to this soul care understanding and the calamities of soul? If you, if you could just dive into that a little bit more with me, that'd be great. Sure. I mean, just to underscore what Richard said, um, the health of our minds, our bodies, and our souls are interconnected. And mm. our culture's way of seeing people is really to compartmentalize. You know, we talk about wow. this is a problem of mind, this is a problem of, of body, this is a problem of soul. But scripture doesn't do that. It sees us as integrated mm. beings. And so when we understand mental health and emotional health, we understand it as in context of the whole person. Wow. Okay. I mean, That's it's good, good Christian great. anthropology. We're all created image and likeness of God. Therefore, we are good. But we're all broken, fallen, finite, sinful creatures. In other words, we're all screwed up. But then, especially in this Lenten season, it's the hope of the resurrection. Never give up on anybody. So as Christians, we should see that this is really central to how we understand ourselves and each other. The creation in the image and creation, image and likeness of God, the reality of the fall, but also the hope of the resurrection. So a summary statement would, we're all good, we're all screwed up, never give up on anyone. Because this is also a conversation about hope and about faithfulness and a long obedience in the same direction. Wow. 
And that's, I mean, that's essentially what we've been saying throughout these this sermon series and what um, you see with Elijah and where he's at, and the fact that God never gives up on him. And I, th- I think that's important for us to hear at the church is that, you know, some of us are in spaces that we've never been in during this pandemic. And we're in spaces where our heart and minds have taken us or we're doing things physically that we we've never done before. And and you get to that place where you're saying, how in the world did I get here? Why am I doing this? And how do I get out of this space? And so I love this understanding of it being just this proper soul care. Um, and it, it does. It kind of debunks that stigma. It's like this isn't this is it's nothing bad with this. This is the spiritual. It's a spiritual necessity for the Christian or the person that's running after Jesus to really be caring for their their whole their the the body, mind, soul, spirit, all of that. It's, it's one. It's not, you're not taking uh, one for the, from the other. You're, it's, it's all in one. So we can't neglect what's going on in our minds and our mentality. So that's whole understanding of soul care. So I love that definition and how it's important to our spiritual health. But I want to really kind of stick, spend some time in this next question because we, we've talked about a little bit of like all of what we've talked about throughout the last few weeks in the first couple questions. But I, I want to give people kind of a roadmap in thinking about what's next. Uh, where do we where do we go from here and kind of how should we approach this need for mental health? Uh, you know, what, what do we do as next steps? What are some action steps, some practical steps that we should take as as Christians and even folks that may not be Christians, but but we're we're in this space right now and saying, well, what do I what do I do with all of this now? We, Pastor D, you've preached it out of me. I got all this stuff going in my soul. So what do I what do I do with my heart and all my everything that's on in my mind? So you can help us kind of walk through that a little bit, some practical steps. Okay. Well, I I began our discussion with some really rough news, but now the good news. Um, first of all, Derek, Rich and I would like to say we're thankful to you and to Pastor Steve and the family at Renewal because you're preaching and modeling authentic ways of walking with Christ. And embedded in that, uh, preaching and teaching about our relationship with Christ are the sound spiritual practices that promote mental health and emotional health. And I want to highlight two of those. The first is that we heal in relationship, uh, in relationship with each other and especially in the Lord. And one of the turning points in a healing journey Uh, is telling the truth. And we live in a culture that values impression management. And in one of your sermons, uh, you preached against fronting. Uh, But impression (laughs) management, it does not work with Jesus. And it doesn't work in community. So as a therapist, I'm really thankful when I do the work. And I'm working with someone who's willing to tell the truth and be honest. You know, it's it's a measure of trust. But I always regard it as a gift. And I'm always thankful because it saves time. You know, Mm. we can spend a lot of time talking about what isn't true. But once we get to the place we talk about what is true, then we can begin to address the issues. So, Sally, you're telling me I can't put on my best clothes and smile a lot and just work hard and and I could be the best me. I can't just get out of this that way. I actually need to be true to what's really going on. (laughs) Actually, I think some of that might integrate with who you are. So, yes, you can do that. (laughs) (laughs) but uh so two of the of the solid first steps i mean to emotional and spiritual our spiritual health are to be honest with ourselves with the lord and perhaps another person and to remain connected in community 
I think those are two wow. huge ones. And you're, you know, you've been hitting that in your sermons and in your church. That's good. So being honest and being in community, that's good. That's good. In terms of action steps and so forth, I mean, first and foremost, I would say, and I think you're hitting on this in your sermons at Renewal, um, active, attentive, respectful listening. <laughs> That's prerequisite. And I think wow. to some extent, uh, North Americans are not necessarily very good at that. I've done a fair amount of international travel. I know you have a diverse congregation. And the way uh, it's been said by great Christian leaders like John Stott, North Americans have a spiritual attention deficit disorder. They're a mile wide, but an inch deep. So our response to the study of the calamities of the soul needs to be a depth understanding of uh, change and healing and growth. And I think it would be uh, fair to say that life would be infinitely easier if we could deny the existence of the distasteful. And so our denial of our humanness, I think, creates all kinds of problems. And let me put it into perspective, not just for Chicagoland, but worldwide. Anywhere you go in the world right now, when it comes to counseling, the number one request is fix my marriage. Mm. Number two requests wow. for help wow. is fix my family. So you hear those relational discord sorts of themes there. And the third one, right. and this has become epidemic uh, because of COVID-19, is help me understand trauma and how to recover from it. You know, the great discussion about the reality of pain and suffering. And uh, one of my colleagues wrote a book about this whole subject and says, Jesus did not come in the world to explain suffering or to take it away, but to fill it with his presence in his time. It's the last three words that drive me crazy because wow. most of us are not patient. And frankly, most of us don't know how to be fully present to people in pain. It's the Old Testament conversation about Job's comforters, which were wonderfully helpful for six days. But things went south on day seven when they opened their mouth. So at some level, it can't be overstated how important it is to do active, attentive, respectful um, listening. And there's one other thing, and then I'll turn it back to Sally. There's three broad options when people are in pain to help them. Uh, one that is probably difficult for the Christian community to talk about is medication. And we call this psychopharmacology, particularly for high levels of anxiety and depression. Yeah. And people have such negative connotations with medication. Right. And why, you know, the calamities of the soul is somehow seen as somehow separate from the rest of our humanity. The second broad group of ways to be helpful are interpersonal strategies. What a friend we have in Jesus, but what a Jesus Amen. we have in friends. And the third one are more skills-based approaches. So the conversation is not about which one is most effective, but how to put the three together for deeply um, troubled persons in such a way that it's synergistic. So skills, relationship, medication, that's pretty much the professional state of the art right now. I think that was great in terms of the skills, relationships, medication. I think sometimes we just, we like to just put it into one category. I'm going to be on medication or I'm going to try to lean into my skills 
or or my community and it's you need all of it it's the well-rounded uh circle for for the believer and i think or for people period that are seeking out some kind of uh, emotional or counseling there i th- see this is why y'all i, I when i talk to rich and sally i just kind of lean in a bit because um, they just drop nuggets nonchalantly, and you just kind of got to pay attention to everything. So uh, I pray that this has been as good as for you as it has been for me. I know, Sally, I just cut you all off. You may have more to say about this just kind of in terms of uh, where do we go from here? What's next uh, on this topic? I have one very practical practice that I'd like to talk about, and that's mm-hmm. the practice of engaging and disengaging. And based, I like Mayo Clinic because they're research-based and okay. they talk about the default mode of our minds as being jumpy attention. So we tend to scan our environments for threat, for novelty, what's different, for what's enjoyable. It's a survival mechanism. And it allows wow. us uh, in times of danger to bypass you know, our rational cognitive thought and react. We would, it's often named the fight flight response. And it's essential to react because if I have to push a small child out of the path of the car, I don't have time to think about Mm -hmm. it. I have to do it. I have Mm -hmm. to act quickly. Uh, But reacting without thinking is not a good ongoing way to go about relating to other people and to go about life. So the practice, it's a, you know, my field talks about mindfulness and meditation, but the actual practice that Jesus modeled is engaging and disengaging you know he withdrew he engaged in the work god called him to do and then he withdrew to a lonely place and was with his father and prayed you know daniel structured life as a captive in a hostile hostile culture he withdrew and he prayed three times a day so right now you mentioned it derek earlier in remarks but the structure that we have in our lives right now is unfamiliar so wow. we're responsible for making our own structure and withdrawing and right. disengaging. So my suggestion would be that, and <laughs> this is going to be hard for some of us, but the first thing in the morning before life begins in earnest and anxiety can be high in the morning, you know, you're often thinking about what you have to do, what didn't go well. Right. So right. there's a lot of, you know, quick thoughts in the morning is a good time um, to step aside and uh, make a pattern of disengaging. It, don't get caught up in the performance, do it as consistently as, as you can. And I wanna share how it works in my life. So when our house is dark and quiet, I go downstairs, I sit in the chair, I have a cup of coffee, I sit before my father, uh, I resist with some success the internet and my phone. <laughs> I let my thoughts settle. Uh, I let my stress responses calm down. And this is the time to focus, to have focused attention, to pray, to read scripture, to speak my concerns, to journal, and definitely to listen to what God is telling me. And we call it an observing ego. When we get above our lives and we look at ourselves, Mm. well, when you do that scripture with the Lord, you're looking at it from an eternal perspective. You're not looking at what's mm. happening only here and now, which is consuming, wow. but you're, you're in another place. So from a mental health perspective, it calms your mind. We've lived much of the year in crisis. And um, this is the privilege of being present with the one who created us. 
and he holds time. He's been willing. And, and there's one final point uh, in light of everything that has happened, uh, Derek, that I'd like to make. Um, this has been a tough year of polarization. And I think yeah, another yeah. person cannot truly know what, what our experience is like. You know, I've, right. I've often had people say to me in therapy, you have no idea what I'm going through. And that's true. I don't. Mm. But when I'm connected to Jesus, I mean, and as we're leading up to the resurrection, you know, he was willing to enter our suffering. So he was despised, betrayed, rejected, abused, put to yeah. death in the most horrible way. Um, even experienced the momentary absence of the father. So right. he can identify with whatever is going on in my life, no matter how horrific. I have a savior who can do that. Amen. 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 That was great. Any last words that you would leave us with? Yeah, I, I want to end the conversation on a hopeful note. And our response to mental illness speaks volumes about our character and our commitments as a culture. There is a ton okay. of research on what seems to help long-term. And the conversation is about resiliency or why some people are more effective in coping with the demands of everyday living. And I think this is directly related to this conversation at Renewal. The number one predictor for about any disease or disorder ever studied was social support. What that means practically to the team at Renewal is, um, who are your friends? <laughs> Can you be close? Can you be intimate with them? And as I said earlier, what a friend we have in Jesus, but what a Jesus we have in friend. Of the three factors, that's the most powerful predictor of where someone will be further down the line, the quality of their friendships. So this focus on true intimacy is hugely important for renewal and your focus on community and your focus on groups. The second most powerful predictor, and as a man of faith, this really encourages me, is what gives your life meaning and purpose. If you wow. uh, know the writings of Kierkegaard, what gets you out of the bed in the morning? What keeps you right. going during the day? And what helps you with the dark night of the soul? And finally, are you developing your gifts and talents? So if you listen carefully, particularly from a Christian perspective, who copes well with the demands of everyday living? People with good community. Wow. People who know how to do discernment. Come on. That's and people good. who know how to steward their mind, body, soul, and spirit. And as someone who's fairly new to watching your community unfold, I think at Renewal, I think as you make this transition to Easter and to being together as a community, the only conversations at this level worth having are variations on those three themes, community, discernment, and wow. stewardship. And one thing I like about the preaching at renewal you preach the word <laughs> you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and so i think this is a time for us to be biblically literate not to use verses to bang people on the top of their head and tell them you know this is how they should think feel and behave but also too to realize that it is a conversation about grace and compassion and wisdom wow. and understanding so ask yourself as we transition to life what parts of renewal cannot be outsourced and never compromise that? 
and I think we're in going in the right direction. So hopefully this will be an ongoing conversation in 2021 and beyond. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Rich and Sally. Thank you so much for just imparting wisdom today and just spending some time with us in, in terms of uh, mental health and just all the things that you've, you've walked through and even being able to share. I know I'm going to have to watch this again and make sure I, I take down some more notes of all the things that you, you said. And, but thank you, thank you, thank you for spending time with us. And prayerfully, some of the people at our church will get to meet you sometime soon here when we're back in person. But thanks again for being with me today. You're welcome. Our pleasure. Amen. Amen. Well, family, I, I just want to, as you heard them say, uh, they took some of the words that I even say, and, and I love the emphasis on community. I love uh, just the fact that um, that it's, it's not just that we need to go get help outside of the church, but it's the fact that that it's community and it's, it's like I say every week and it's the dinner table conversations that we have with one another where lives are changed, where we're able to get into each other's lives. And as Rich and Sally just so eloquently put at the end saying that this is what Jesus did for us, where he steps out of heaven and he steps into this earth with us, has compassion and grace, uh, shares his life with us, sympathizes with our sufferings and takes him to the cross. And so as Christians, as we enter the space with other people, as we enter into spaces with people that are different than us, that's where uh, this true, uh, true reconciliation, but as well as life change and mental health starts. So it's, it, it's, it's putting all of that together, as they said. So I pray that this series has been as good for you as it has been for me. And as I said last week with myself and Pastor Steve, that if you're in a space where you're needing help or you're saying, that's me, this has been hitting me right in the heart, my mind, I need to talk with Pastor D or Pastor Steve, one of the elders of the church, please do so. We're here with you. We want to walk with you through this. We don't want to just expose the issues in our lives. We want to walk with you through it as your pastors. Amen. Well, let us pray together before we take communion. Father, thank you so much again for this morning. Thank you for an awesome conversation and just how good you are to us and just who you've been uh, in our lives, God, but also entering to this space as we've been in a place of polarization in our minds, in our hearts, and in a encountered things that we've never encountered in our souls, God. I pray that in this space, as we saw with Elijah, that we would know that you're nearer and closer than ever before, that you're with us, that you're close, that you love us, and that you still want to be with us. And in that space, God, will we run after you? Would we long for the satisfaction and fulfillment that's only found in you? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray all these things. And everyone said together, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.